Welcome to the City on a Hill Church Brighton podcast. We exist to help people love, trust, and follow Jesus in everyday life. We're glad you're here, and thanks for listening. More information on the life and mission of City on a Hill Church can be found at coabrighton.org. That's C-O-A-H-Brighton.org. Uh, if you're a regular part of our church, guys, today is exciting because today is the last day uh, you and I are completing Ephesians together. We have been journeying for a long, long time, and we are finishing the book today. If you're a guest, we've been journeying all through, uh, verse by verse, through this book, and we're getting to the very, very end of it uh, today. And so I'm excited about it because we're finally, after like four weeks of walking through each piece of this spiritual armor, we're getting to this very, very last part of the armor. Uh, but before we get started, just want to say a thank you guys to you who came to the marriage conference uh, at, at Coa Brookline. All four congregations were represented as we're a network of neighborhood churches. Uh, there was about 80 people that were there. It was awesome. Time of teaching and breakout sessions and um, a panel. It was wonderful. Then we all had God's food, which was Chick-fil-A at the very end, which made it all even better. Uh, but thank you guys for being a part of that. Uh, well, let's jump in for today, guys. Uh, if you're taking notes, which I would recommend to you if you're gathering with us often, uh, the kind of way to, to help you remember what we're, what we're learning. Uh, these are the final pieces of the spiritual armor, right? The final pieces. Uh, and so we've been talking about how we have sin in us. There is evil around us. And then there's spiritual forces above us. That might sound sci-fi for some of us, but the Bible really talks about if there's such a good being like God, then there could be evil beings as well. And so we, we talked about how do we defend ourselves from negative thoughts or doubt or fear or worry. And so Paul's been telling us about certain pieces of the armor we put on to protect ourselves from those things. And this week we come to the very last part. We've covered belt of truth. We've covered a breastplate of righteousness. We talked about those shoes of gospel peace. We put on the shield of faith last week, the helmet of salvation. And we talked about the sword of the spirit. And last, to sort of round this out, Paul talks about this last element, which is prayer. Last element prayer. So if you're taking notes, the final piece of the armor is that you must arm yourself with five-fold prayer, five-fold prayer. Paul gives you really five elements that you and I should pray through. By the way, hey, Kiana. Hey, sweet girl. I know you're having a rough day today. Glad you're with mommy in service. Um, so let me show this to you. Five uh, uh, points of prayer here. It starts at verse 18. Um, God gives us through Paul a few ways that you and I've got to pray. So I know all of us guys, we spent a lot of time talking about prayer in this book. This gets really practical. This is like what you should pray and how you should pray. So make sure you're taking notes. Here's the fivefold prayers, right? Verse 18, the author, Paul, uh, God is speaking through him. And he says this, guys, we've got to pray at, here's the first thing, you gotta pray at all times. Man, no matter what it is, whether you're tempted or not tempted, you gotta pray at all times. Whether things are going well for your life or not well for your life, you gotta pray. Guys, one of the easiest ways that we don't pray is when what happens? When life's fine. You guys find that common for you? When life is going okay, you don't pray. When life is going chaotic, what do you do? You pray. Paul's saying, we gotta stop that. You pray at all times, good or bad, because you're readying yourself. Remember we gave that analogy a few weeks ago. If you're gonna go and fight out in a battle in real world, first century Roman Greco world, 
uh, you don't like, oh my gosh, I forgot I was battling today. Just excuse me for a moment. Let me go put on something appropriate, like armor for this war. Like you gotta be ready. If you're in the draft, you gotta be ready to go into war, spiritual war. So Paul says, number one, pray at all times in the spirit. Let's take a moment when it says in the spirit. Paul's not necessarily talking about this prayer language like speaking in tongues, although he could be. But we get that pray in the spirit from the verse earlier where he talks about the sword of the spirit. So he's saying pray according to what? The scriptures. You pray in the spirit. You pray how God would design you to pray. You pray for his desires to become yours. His purposes for the world, you pray for them. So we pray actually the Bible. Uh, did anybody go on the uh, network retreat a few years ago when Donald Whitney, professor at a seminary? Yeah, and he, he taught us how to pray through the scripture. And we're gonna get to that in a moment. We're gonna look at Jesus' life here in a second and saw how he prayed the scriptures on the cross. Like he prayed through the Psalms. We'll get to that in a moment. But he's saying that we've got to pray the Bible. We've got to pray in the spirit. So that's the first thing. Number two, it says that we've got to have all prayer and supplication. Man, that means all kinds of prayers. We do the quick prayers, on the way to our job, the quick prayers on the way to church, that's fine. We should also have a long prayer time. Maybe a time in the morning, maybe a time in the evening. Maybe you have a time of prayer with your roommates or with your friends or your spouse. All different types of prayer. Maybe there's confessional prayer, something that you fell short of God's glory or you rebelled against his ways and you come to him as a loving father and say, God, forgive me and help my heart. I want to obey you. We, we should pray all types of prayers and ask for all types of things. That's what that word supplication means. It's a request. And you know what we're learning here is that God is saying, bring all your requests. And how comforting is that? Have you ever met with uh, a really like important person as the world would dictate at your job or maybe at your school? And you felt a lot of pressure. Like, I'm meeting the president of my school today, or I'm meeting with the CFO or the CEO or the COO or whatever three letter acronyms. And you feel like, I hope that I don't mess up because I don't have a lot of time with them. God is unhurried and unrushed, seated like a father waiting for you to come sit on his lap and give all your hardships, all your requests. Do you see that invitation here? He's saying, bring all your supplication, bring all your confession, bring all your, your worries. That's a beautiful invitation. So all types of prayers. And then it keeps going. Paul says to that end, here's what you got to do. If you're going to pray in all times and you're going to pray all types of prayer, then you, you got to keep this in mind. He says to that end, keep alert with, and here's the third all, all times, all prayer, all perseverance, all perseverance. Guys, can we be honest? Just a quick poll. Is persevering in prayer hard when you don't feel like God's answering? Yes. Have we all experienced that moment where you kept praying and asking and you felt that God crossed his metaphorical arms and just watched you suffer? Have you ever felt that? If you've been walking with God for a long time. His ways are not our ways. And we're really confused when God doesn't answer when we think he should. And God is telling us, don't give up. Persevere in prayer. Now, when I first was reading this passage, I was like, okay, well, I, I, I better just keep asking God because he's like that parent that doesn't listen very well. And maybe that was a parent that you had in your home that you were like, mom, 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 Cynthia. And then she like turns around. She's like, oh yeah, sorry. I forgot I had children. Of course, mom, my mom watches every sermon. I know you didn't forget mom. You love us. But you know, every, every parent, there's one parent that often doesn't listen well, or is a guardian for you or a grandparent or is a friend. 
And that's what I thought persevering in prayer was, that you kind of had to just keep shaking God, like he fell asleep. You keep asking him and then he'll like, okay, I'll finally grant you what you've asked. Is that really what God is saying here? That, amen, <laughs> amen. Yes, that's exactly right. God is not saying, knock until you wake me up. He's saying, knock until you become like me. Do you get what I'm saying? He's saying, keep coming to me over and over and over until your ways become my ways. So when you keep coming up to the door of God and keep knocking, you recognize the doorpost and you begin to see the pictures inside and you begin to think about who he is and you begin to pray and wrestle with what you believe. And as you're persevering, what happens? You're changing. So sometimes, listen, not all the time, sometimes why God doesn't answer prayer immediately is because he's not so set on changing your circumstance, but to change your heart, right? To change your perspective. So that's why he says, you've got to keep on persevering, keep watch. Now flip it for a moment. Uh, we don't know when spiritual attacks are going to happen. Some of you, we've got a lot of trauma in your past, right? Think about relationships and parenting or whatever the case may be for you. There is real life hard trauma. You don't know when you're going to get triggered. You could be watching Netflix. You can be hanging out at a meal with a friend. All of a sudden you get triggered by something. And there is great therapists that have ways to unpack this from our past. But with that, we need the covering of gospel care. So we've got to be ready. That's what it says, keep alert with perseverance. So we've got to pray and ready our minds often. Does that make sense, guys? With perseverance, we can't just pray when things get hard. We got to pray before they get hard. So if there's an area where you feel like maybe something's triggering to you, there's a hardship that your past has brought up to your present, or you fear something in the future. If you take time and you pray and meditate that you're, you're putting on like this cloak of invisibility, if you would, hello, Harry Potter reference for you there, um, that it's almost like you're protecting yourself before the battle happens. So all times, all prayer, all perseverance. And then he says this, make supplications. He says, make supplications for all the saints, all of them, all the saints. And I love he says it there. He's not referencing per se, every Christian in every place of every part of the world, which he could. And that's a good thing to pray for Christians that are not in our same place of safety or comfort. We should pray for the Christians over in Ukraine dealing with the war and the ones in Russia. But I think what he's getting to is you, you pray for all the Christians in your sphere, all the Christians in your church. So let me ask you, Christian in the room, are, are you praying for people in your community group? Are you praying for all the saints, all the beloved ones in Christ at our church, in your CG, in your DNA group? Are you praying for our staff? Are you praying for me as your pastor? Are you praying for my daughters? Am I praying for your family? Guys, we've got to pray for all the saints. Because why? We, we need this covering. We need this protection. And also prayer, guys, prayer has a way of bonding you to the person who sits next to you. I know one of our staff members, Nick, I hope it's okay to share this. It's a good thing. That's why I'm going to share it, not a bad thing. Um, but a good thing is that Nick and Rachel uh, desire to spend time uh, each week together. They set aside time and they go and pray together. Uh, whether something's going on in their family or their hearts or their week, they set aside time and they, uh, they go and pray together. Guys, I think that's a great thing that we don't do it accidentally. You do it intentionally. You get on the front end of it. And so they pray for our church. They pray for each other. They pray for family. Guys, how can you and I pray for all the saints? So think about, is there someone in your group, in your CG that you know is struggling? Is there an organized way that you pray for them? Is it on your calendar? Maybe it's every Monday or every Tuesday. What's that look like for you? 
Guys, I'm not perfect at this for praying for all the saints, but one thing I try to do is each week, I take all of your names, every group that you're in, and try to touch every name of every guest or every person that's in our church, all of you. I'm not perfect at all of it. You're not getting an hour each, just gonna be honest with you. <laughs> no offense, um, but uh, Kyle and I take time and we pray in a systematic way. And then I pray in a personal way, away from my wife, away from our church. And I'm not telling you this to brag, but I wanna pray for you. You're my family. You're like my brothers and sisters. And I care for you and what you go through. And so one small little way as your friend and pastor is I wanna pray for you by name and by need. And then if I'm super good that week, then I actually get ahead of it and I text you guys. I let you know, hey, what can I pray for? Or I text you and let you know I was praying for you. That's part of my heart and assignment and it should be all of ours as well. Verse 19, he says, hey, by the way, if you're gonna be praying for all the saints, Paul says, he's like, and and also for me, he like raises his hand. He's like, can you pray for me? That the words may be given to me. He's praying for clarity, that the words may be given to me. And then he prays this, that I may open my mouth boldly and proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Man, I love that. Do you see the intentionality? Guys, this guy is in chains. He is imprisoned because he shared his faith. And you know what he's saying? Give me boldness to share it even in my chains. That's the thing that got him in trouble in the first place. And he's like, let not the fear of what got me here keep me from going there and sharing the gospel. Guys, how often do you pray that you would have clarity and boldness to share the gospel. Have you ever been like nervous to share the gospel with somebody or your testimony or just let someone know that you're like a Christian? I do, I'm a pastor. All of my intro conversations, my job comes up. When dudes talk often, it's like, hey, uh, what's your name? Where do you work? I'm two sentences in and I'm being written off a third of the conversations, if not more, that I'm in with anybody, right? It's intimidating for me. I'm sure it is for you as well but my heart can't be so afraid of rejection or afraid of hurting someone. The greatest antidote of love that I can give is to give them what Christ has done for them. Not in a really cold way. I'm pulling up my Bible. I'm holding out a sign, turn or burn, nothing crazy like that. I'm not, I'm not referencing that, but how can I enter in conversations and have questions and get to the heart? Or how can I, people that I know, like, like for you roommates or for me, it's who lives in my apartment complex. And I've shared with you about our apartment complex owner, Tom, who places faith in Christ recently that we visit often in the hospital. He's not doing well with his cancer and his treatments he's going through. And over time, it's because Matt and Jordan lived in that apartment complex and Mandy did for a season during COVID and Kyle's come over and Emily and I've lived there and you guys have come visited. You guys have interacted with him. I think Shaq, you lived in my apartment complex at one point. Where is Shaq? Yeah, you live there too. Yeah, it's like we've all interacted with this man and over time, he heard the gospel through you. And it was because people were bold to share it and pray it and have conversations. Guys, how often are you praying for clarity to share well and understand the nuance of the person, how to not offend, but still sometimes the gospel is offensive. It tells you you're a sinner in need of Jesus. That's a hard thing to share. But just like a good doctor lets you know if there's something wrong and then gives you treatment. As Christians, we do the same thing. There's something wrong in us, around us. The only thing that can cure that sin is what Christ has done. How often are you praying that you would speak it clearly, and you would share it boldly. Let's do that. Guys, I am all over the place on my notes here. I just kind of went for the hills. Let me scroll down uh, a little bit here. 
Uh, one good example that we could do here, guys, is a prayer journal. I think, Tim, you were uh, texting in the Slack channel about uh, prayer, cha- or, uh, um, prayer journals or something like that. And I think some of you hopped in like, yeah, I've got several journals by my, by my bed or in my, my closet or on my bookshelf. Guys, that is a great way to record God's movement in your individual life. Guys, do you have an experience like I have that you feel sometimes that like God doesn't hear you, that he's just kind of really busy, that you don't pray that often and it's kind of like before a meal or before something really important and you kind of just don't really pray? Well, what if you begin to record your prayers? Big or small, you record them all. And then after every time God moves through that, you either mark it through or you mark how we answered it or you put a date next to it. Guys, I started doing this at the recommendation of one of my pastors and mentors and I've got, I did it on my phone because I lose all the things I have tangible in my hands, uh, which is why I don't deal with the church's money. <laughs> I just do what my job is supposed to do. That's why we have a treasurer and we've got a finance team. So anyway, uh, a great way to do this is to take a prayer journal and jot down those things. I shared this recently. There was five of my friends that I was praying for to come to Christ that were not yet placing their hope in Jesus. And over the course of one year through sharing and, and praying and having conversations, all five came to Christ. And I'm not saying that's something that I did, but I got to partner with what God was doing. So what's one way that you can chart this that is so encouraging for us? In the Old Testament, uh, they talked about um, uh, rocks of remembrance. They would sort of build altars and they would remember what God had did. So they built an altar and they remember what God did in that spot. Prayer journals are the same. So guys, how can you begin to practice this? What are you praying for for the future? It could be a spouse, could be a child, could be a job, could be a sin struggle you're hoping to get freedom from, could be whether I'm supposed to move or stay or become a member of our church and help us make decisions through leadership. What does that mean? Write it down, pray through it and watch God answer through it. Make sense? I think it's a great way for us to practice this. Guys, prayer is one of the places that we most exemplify what it means to be strong in the Lord. You guys remember verse 10? It says, be strong in the Lord and in his might and in his strength, right? Prayer is the easiest way for you to exemplify what it means to be strong in the Lord. That's what it's really about. But what happens though, is when we don't pray, here's what that's revealing about your heart. When you don't pray, it's showing an extreme arrogance. I don't need God my strength, my knowledge. And we kind of pray like after we make our plans, right? We kind of think about it all. We look it up online or we have conversations. And the last thing we do is pray that God would solidify everything that we desired. And so sometimes not praying is extreme arrogance. God, I don't need you. I don't want you. Or we don't pray because more commonly we struggle with unbelief, right? I don't really think he'll help me. I don't really think he'll be there for me. We don't pray because we don't believe he'll come through. It's very often experience that Christians have. But if we persevere, like Paul's saying, we're going to watch God come through and it will be better his way rather than our timing. Paul Miller writes this really great book called uh, um, A Praying Life. And he said this, if you're not praying, then you are quietly confident that your money, your time, and your talent are all you need in life for it reveals that you depend more on them instead of God through prayer. That's what you're communicating when we don't pray. Hey, I got my time. I got my money, got my talent. I know what's best. I know what needs to happen. It reveals you depend on those things more than God in prayer. And those things will never die for you. 
Those things will never pay for your sins. Those things will never care for you like God himself will. I love you too, Kiana. Blew me a little kiss. Thanks, sweetheart. Um, so two more points here I, I want to draw out for us about perseverance. I think this is really cool as I was studying this past week. When verse 18b, Paul says, hey guys, keep alert. Stay alert. You're going to fall asleep. Keep in there. Persevere with prayer. You know what that means to me? It's really comforting. Paul, the guy who wrote one third of the New Testament, he struggled with prayer too. That's why that joker's telling you to persevere because he struggles with it. How comforting is that, by the way? If like the guy who wrote the majority of the Bible for us in the New Testament, God, God through him, tells you to persevere because you need it. Like it's really encouraging for me. But what he's doing, it echoes the language that Jesus himself gave in the garden of Gethsemane. When he told Peter, Jesus said, hey, Peter, would you stay up? Would you be watchful in prayer? Hey, disciples, he drew Peter, James, and John close to him when he was in the garden right before he was gonna be crucified. He says, guys, will you be alert? Would you persevere in prayer? Would you remain watchful? And why does Jesus say that in that moment in his ministry? It's because he knew they were gonna be tempted to fall away from Christianity, to abandon Jesus, to give up on the faith. Because if they're gonna hang their savior on the cross, then they might be hung on the cross. And Jesus says, would you remain watchful? You gotta start praying. You gotta be ready. We gotta know what's ahead. Be ready for the battle. And so he says, listen, your flesh, your heart, your mind, it gets tempted. Your resolve gets weak. And so prayer, Paul's saying, is a piece of this armor that you need to press into God and his help and his strength. And what I found so interesting about this, guys, if you look at Jesus, he said about six, and, six or seven phrases when he was on the cross. Do you remember some of those phrases? He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He talked about how the people were casting lots in front of him. He talked about that he was thirsty. You guys remember some of those phrases? What's he doing? If you trace what he's saying, it begins to follow a chronological order of some Psalms that he was praying through, that he was thinking through, that he was speaking about. Now, this is fascinating to me because I think it shows us in the time of temptation and how you persevere in the spirit is you pray according to God's word. Jesus didn't have a scroll in front of him on the cross. He had it in his mind and his heart. And so he prayed in the spirit, according to God's word, he prayed, he was reminding himself of what Psalm 22 was about. And so you know, if you've read Psalm 22, it says multiple things about what would happen as a prediction of Christ on the cross. In the very, very end of that scripture, it says, they will all proclaim his righteousness. And I will declare to a people yet unborn, it is finished. What did Jesus say the last words on the cross? It is finished. What's, what's Jesus doing? He's finishing up Psalm 22. In his temptation, he's persevering in the scriptures, trusting and hoping that God will be faithful, the father will be faithful, what his plan was, and he was. Even Jesus showing you as a human being with the flesh, how do you persevere in hardships? You pray and you pray the scripture. If Jesus does this, it's a perfect model for us to do it as well. Just a quick side note with this, for me personally, uh, something that I try to persevere in prayer is Psalm 16. I referenced it last week when I talked about my own sins and struggles and temptation. And so that's what I meditate often is Psalm 16. Verse one says, preserve me, O God, for in you, I take refuge. So I don't wanna take refuge in sin or comfort or sexuality or something like that. I, I want you to preserve me and you I take refuge. Then verse four is a warning to me. It says the sorrows of those who run after another God or an idol, that should multiply. 
Verse seven says, I bless the Lord who gives me this counsel. In the night, he instructs my heart. Maybe in the night I'm tempted, but in the night I go to his word, it instructs me. In verse 11, I meditate, you make known to me the path of life. It's in your presence, there's fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures. Not alcohol, not pornography, not lying, whatever the case may be. So church, how are you seeking to keep alert? How are you persevering in prayer? Have you given up yet? If so, if there's one area in your life, would you see this as an invitation to re-enter in to that place of pain where you've stopped praying? You thought God wouldn't answer. You prayed enough about that spouse or that kid or that job or that wisdom, and you just kind of gave up. Would you see this as an invitation to persevere again so that God can take your heart and your mind and begin to mold you more like him? Would you start praying again in those areas? Then last little note on this prayer section here. I think it's really interesting that Paul in prison asked that he wouldn't get out of prison. Like, do you notice what he does not pray? I think that's really interesting. He didn't pray, God, would you unchain my wrists? He said, would you unchain my mouth? That my circumstance wouldn't limit me from sharing the gospel. Guys, he didn't want his, the chain of fear to keep him from sharing the gospel with guards or with fellow inmates. He wanted to continue to share it. He prayed not that he would be set free, but that the gospel would be further freed through him. Guys, that's a really powerful thought for us. So listen, whatever circumstance you're in, maybe God has you in there to actually further the gospel. Maybe there is an area of suffering or struggle in your life, and God wants to use that actually as a platform so you can minister out of. I know for our family, one thing we bring up often is you know that our family is unable to have biological children. So one of our places of platform and care is others who are unable to have biological children and the pain or the sorrow that that may cause. Each of you have a place of pain that you can minister from. And that's what Paul's saying. Help me not in this place of pain, abandon my ministry to make the gospel known. So what's that look like for you? Paul doesn't pray to get out of the circumstance and maybe you don't need to either depending on what it is, if there's abuse, of course, and there's all these things, of course, we want to be mindful, but maybe we don't pray to get out of the circumstance. Maybe we pray that we can be faithful in the midst of it. So how are you sharing the gospel? Are you making it boldly known? That's the first thing. Arm yourself with fivefold prayer. Now, as Paul was imagining an imprisonment, he's using this armor reference, right? Think about the helmet of salvation, breastplate, all that kind of stuff, right? He's imagining a Roman soldier. And what he does is he doesn't pivot the analogy, which you'd often think he does if you've read this text. He starts talking about this guy named Tychicus, and then he's like, grace and peace be with you. I'm sending him to you. And you think he just kind of writes it off. What's he doing? Paul brings up Tychicus to show you this guy is a fully clothed person with the armor I've been talking about. This is what a person looks like to wear the helmet and the breastplate and the, the belt of truth, the gospel shoes, the sword. Let me tell you about Tychicus. And so he introduces as a model, this man named Tychicus. Guys, I love this person in our scripture because we don't know a lot about him. He's not famous. He's not well-known. He's not an apostle. He's not a prophet. We don't know him to be a teacher. He's an ordinary, average Working guy. 
And I love what Paul says about him because he's like, it's that guy that's armored with what I've been talking about. So he says in verse 21, look at it. I think we'll have it on the screen as well. So it says, and so that you also may know how I'm doing and what I'm doing, Tychicus, man. And then he like goes off for a moment about Tychicus because I think he's just gonna say, say, so you know how I'm doing? I'm gonna send Tychicus to you. But Paul just like wells up with affection for a moment. He's like, I'm gonna send Tychicus. He's my beloved brother. He's faithful. He's a minister in the Lord. He's gonna tell you everything. I've sent him to you for this very purpose that you know how we're doing and that he may encourage your hearts. Koa, I want you to arm yourself with this five-fold character that he has. We don't have a lot of time to unpack all of it, so I'm just gonna give you brief highlights. But I want you to have this five-fold character of a person when you wear the armor long enough, what does your life begin to look like? How do you show up to your friends, your neighbors, your spouse, your kids? How does the armor affect your character? And Paul gives us four things. He says, you realize that you're beloved. You realize that you're a part of the family of faith, you're a brother. You begin to be faithful in your relationships with others. You begin to minister the gospel because you saw how the gospel, the good news of what Christ has done on the cross, how that affected you and your worth and value and how you've seen that if you're significant enough to be died for, and how that changed your mindset that you want to share that with other people. And then last, he's an encourager. Guys, I love this Tychicus character. He's this normal guy. Acts 20 verse four tells us that he's from Asia and that he accompanied Paul when Paul went to Jerusalem carrying money that was collected by Gentile churches to carry it all the way to Jerusalem to help out uh, Jewish Christians that were struggling, who had just placed their faith in Christ. They were suffering. And so Tychicus came along with Paul simply as a car mate. They didn't have cars then, but you get just to travel with a travel mate to come with them. This, of course, as he was traveling, sharing the gospel, Paul was arrested and incarcerated for his faith. We learn later, if you read the book of Titus, that Paul sent Tychicus all the way to Crete to minister to the church in Crete. A normal guy, Tychicus, travel along with Paul. And I love this endearing terms he uses. Again, beloved brother, he's a faithful minister. He's an encouragement. Guys, could that be said about you? If someone were to write up a quick two sentences, what what descriptions would they use? Would they match the descriptions of Tychicus? And further, what I really like about this is that Paul, guys, if you think about the contrast of these two friends right here, Paul was a Jewish man that was a Roman citizen and he was really close buds with Tychicus, a Gentile man who had Asian citizenship. Two guys being buddies from different backgrounds. In fact, they arguably could have hated each other because of their religious backgrounds. And Paul says, I see him as valuable. He's my beloved friend. I'm not better than him because I'm an apostle. He's faithful. Guys, I want you to think about, do you see others in our church that same way? Think about that person that bothers you in your community group. You have a different personality than them. You don't like their communication style. You don't like their background. Guys, do you view and treat others as beloved brothers or beloved sisters? Do you treat them the way that Christ treated you? That when you are very different from him and your reactions, your thoughts, your feelings, God stepped in and loved you, died for you, rose for you so that you could have a place with him. How do you view and see people in your community group, in our church? Do you see them as a beloved 
brother. Guys, this can really be impactful. So again, Koa, I want you to, to have this identity. I want you to know that you're beloved, that God's love for you is what sets your identity, not what you do or who in your life can love you to dictate whether you're important. You don't need a job. You don't need a status. You don't need some degree to tell you if you're significant enough. I want your identity to be beloved. Just like Tychicus, Paul says, what's the first thing I want you to know about him is that he's loved. Isn't that crazy to think about? He didn't first start out by saying, let me tell you all the great things about Tychicus. He said, no, the first identifier about Tychicus is that he is a beloved person. Beloved by who? God and Paul. Imagine if you saw yourself that same way. Imagine you saw yourself as a person who was beloved by God. How would that affect how you work or when you're rejected or when you struggle with loneliness or isolation or abandonment? Do you realize how that would shape you? I want you to see yourself, your identity first, then your activity. Your identity is beloved. Your activity should be family, faithful, minister of the gospel, encourager. Last word here, just with the encourager piece. Um, I'm not saying that you have to just be the happy person in the room and that you need to always be like, oh, I love your shirt and all oh, that was great worship song or oh, I love what you said in CG. That's not what he's saying. He's encourager is, is bringing a word when someone else is struggling. They're so in tune with what someone else is going through that they can bring a word of encouragement or courage to them. Are you like that? Do you know people in this church so much so that you can bring a word of courage or help to them? Many of our time, some of our playful banter, it's not a bad thing, but it's not a full thing. We shouldn't be critical all the time or harsh or sarcastic. That's a fine realm to just give one or two, but do we live there? Or do we enter into words that are true and caring and intentional? I want you to be an encourager like Tychicus. Now guys, as I think about this text, uh, Tychicus really represents many of you in our church. And so just like Tychicus brought a message of how Paul was doing and how, uh, uh, what, what Paul was doing, uh, because Paul was sort of uh, an affiliate member of the Ephesians church, I want to take a moment to you and I want to bring you a message. I want to bring you a message from Tychicus-like people, Bradley and Haley. They're two of our members that moved to India recently to foster and adopt a little boy. Many of us have prayed for them in the service. That was part of our pray for all the saints that we've been praying for. And their little boy, MK. So just like verse 22 talked about Tychicus bringing a message that would encourage, let me share just a little bit with you from a video that they created for us three or four minutes so that you'd be encouraged with what they're doing and how they're doing. Hey, go Brightons! The Wright family saying hi from Bangalore, India. We wanted to send you a quick update on what's going on here, but first we wanted to introduce you to our newest addition, Micah Krishna Wright. You say hi, buddy. Who is this, Hudson? Yeah, we cannot wait for you guys to get to meet him in person very soon. All right, so we put the kids down to bed so we could give you a little bit of a um, deeper update. So first, um, thank you for all your prayers and encouragement. Uh, we've said this many times, but um, throughout this process when it felt like um, it was just too much to bear, you guys made it feel like a light burden um, because you carried it uh, with us. And so we're so grateful for you, church, just the ways for the text messages and the calls and the Bible verses and the intercession. Um, you're such a big part of making this happen. And so uh, we're really, really grateful for you. First, how we're doing, we're doing really well overall. 
Um, Micah Krishna has transitioned into our family um, very beautifully. It's really cool to see. It just seems like he um, just knew exactly who was missing from our family. He fits in so well. Um, he's learning to attach to us and slowly beginning to understand the concept of a family. Uh, he is still trying to learn that we can meet all of his needs, um, that we will feed him and take care of him, and uh, he doesn't have to be scared here. So we know that's a long road, but um, we're already seeing so much trust being built in his heart, and we're grateful to God for that. Um, Hudson has transitioned very well. He really adores his little brother, um, and they are forming a really sweet bond. So um, those are some really highlights. Um, some of the uh, more difficult things, just continue to pray for um, MK to, yeah, just um, understand what a family is, to trust us, for us to be patient and gracious with him as he learns, all of us. And um, on the medical side, we've been really encouraged to see his energy levels pick up. Um, he's a totally different kid than the one we spent time with in the orphanage. He is energized and zealous for life and laughing and playing and so we're really grateful for that um he has still been having some lung difficulties and breathing um, we've had a few different treatments but i think um, that probably won't be solved until we come into boston um so the lung and the heart having some um just difficulty processing the food and stuff um, so those are some specific medical things that you can continue to pray for yeah, and so like next steps, we have Article 23, which is one of the paperwork that we were waiting for from the governing adoption agency here in India. So we have that, and we're just waiting for the birth certificate. Once when we have that in hand, we'll be able to apply for passport. Once when we have the passport, then we are able to leave Bangalore, uh, go to New Delhi, and shortly thereafter be in Boston, back with y'all. So we can't wait for that, and we are prayerfully... Praying that that happens before Easter so we can join y'all for the Easter Sunday. Yes, that is our big prayer. We'd love for you to pray um, for that with us. It would definitely be a big God ask, but looking behind us, we've seen God do that again. Um, so just um, to wrap up, things that you guys can be praying for us, pray for God to continue to sustain MK's health, that um, his lungs wouldn't continue to worsen, that God would just keep his... Um, body uh, healthy and sustained while we wait to come back to Boston. Uh, pray for all of us as we're getting a little bit homesick. Uh, just pray that we would have endurance, that we would find our home in Christ. Um, we definitely are missing you guys. We're missing gathering with the believers. Um, and so continue to just pray that we would run this race well, that we would wait well, um, and we would um, use this time well. We're super grateful for you guys. We love you deeply. We cannot wait until we can um, hug you guys and see you and let Micah Krishna um, really just get to see this family that has um, helped him join our family. So we love you guys. We miss you so much, Coa Brighton, and hopefully we'll see you soon. Bye, church. Man, I miss those guys. I'm going to invite my wife to come up real quick. And uh, part of the message today, sweet girl. Um, talked about that we would persevere in prayer, which many of you have, and that we would pray for all the saints. And they've asked us, hey, as we go into India, would you guys hold the rope for us? We're going out there and many of you have given to them and supported them. And part of us caring for all the nations is that we would send people to go and care for those. And so we hold the rope. And one of the ways we do that is by prayer. And so Emily, would you continue and pray for our church? And then we'll continue the last part of our message. 
All right, let's pray specifically for Haley and Bradley. Lord, we do lift up that sweet family. We know that we all have in this room been um, praying for them for these many months as they were matched with MK and now as they are there with him. So Lord, we we praise you just in the ways that you have already moved in that family uh, to see the sweet bonds between Hudson and MK, to um, see him growing in attachment and uh, learning the food safety and security with that. And so Lord, I do just pray for continued bonds to grow, for trust to develop, for grace and patience to be had when there is um, hardship. Would you give us a unique insight on how to care for them um, and how to care for MK? Um, And that may be stepping back and not providing food at this time, but making sure that he gets those bonds strongly with Haley and Bradley. And that may be in other avenues that we aren't anticipating. So Lord, would you help us to be uniquely prepared to love this family well, to support them well? Lord, as regards for homesickness, yes, would they be reminded that their home is in you? But Lord, we cannot wait to have them back here home in Boston. So would you even pave the way for that to happen, for birth, the birth certificate to get to them quickly, for passports to be applied for and to be processed quickly, for flights home to be um, found easily? Whatever it takes, Lord, we ask that you would bring them home. Um, and if that would be by Easter, Lord, we would love that. We would love to be able to celebrate not only our risen Savior, but just the joining of a family. Lord, that you have uh, brought together. And so I do pray for MK's health specifically, and also for Haley and Bradley and Hudson's health as they just navigate um, these next days and weeks in India. Uh, But Lord, specifically for MK, Lord, would you just give him sustained health? Um, We know that a lot of these issues may uh, prayerfully be resolved here in Boston. Um, But until that time, Lord, would you help his lungs to strengthen? Would you um, heal his heart? Would you give him just continued comfort, relief, whatever it may be in order to keep his sweet little body growing and healthy, developing as it needs to be? In Jesus' name, amen. You guys, thank you, Kiana, for coming up too. Um, now, guys, we could take a moment and make a two or three minute video for literally all of you to share what you need prayer for. And that's what I like about what Paul does. Paul actually gives us a model and says, hey, would you pray for me? So guys, would you even ask people in your community group, in your DNA group, what do you need prayer for? Paul made his prayers known. Would you make your prayers known? They don't have a community group that they can maybe go to every week or a DNA group that they can just kind of be right there in a second. I know Haley has a lot of communication with people in our church and sometimes those people are crazy and they wake up at 3 a.m. in India time or whatever to be a part. Uh, But that's why we want to highlight them. They're still a part of our family, but they're not as close like some of you are. So I'm not highlighting their needs above your needs by any means. But like Paul, would you make your prayer needs known? Would you invite people to come and pray for you in that place? That's what Paul does. And just like the rights, many of you guys are good examples of Tychicus. You are beloved in the gospel. You are acting as family, like brother and sister with one another. You are faithful to each other because of the faithfulness of God that impacted you. Many of you are ministering the gospel and many of you are encouragers. Let's continue to be like Tychicus. Last thing that we see here, guys, is we don't arm ourselves just with prayer or with the character, but we arm ourselves again with the blessings that God gives us. And so you've noticed the sequential numerical thing that Paul is doing. He gives you fivefold prayer. He gives you five characteristics of Tychicus. And then he gives you five blessings and we'll end here. Verse 23, he says, arm yourself this way. He says, peace be to the brothers. That word is Adelphoi. It means brothers and sisters. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God, the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Paul picks up five great qualities of the Christian life. 
great qualities, five blessings that they've been given in the gospel. He says, peace be to the brothers. Guys, in the gospel, would you be reminded as we close this book, be reminded that you have peace with God, which means that you can have a peace within. Whatever you've been through, whatever you're going through, there's a peace knowing that someone is above you, someone who is within you, working out all things for your good. So you not only have a relational peace with him, but you have a peace within, and that allows you to have peace with one another in our church. Friends, is there any conflicts going on amongst you? With your family, with your neighbors, because God came to make peace with us, we are called to make peace with others. Another quality we see here is love. I want you to be reminded not just to love others, but how deeply, again, you are loved. Or as Paul called Tychicus, beloved. You are loved in the gospel with an unconditional, incorruptible, and unlimited love of God. No matter what you've done, no matter what you're doing, no matter addictions you're caught in, no matter what decisions you've made or are making or will make, there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. He loved you so much. Not only did he make a way to be with him, but to change the areas you go to that hurt you. You were loved in that place. So we are free to come to him to confess, but we're then freed to not return to those places of harm because he gives you a better way. You are loved no matter what you did last night, no matter what you did this week. And you can breathe that in. We see that the next thing he says, faith, that we're to love of faith. And what does that mean? It doesn't just mean we have a faith with God, but we see that faith is fruit that God's love has sunken deep in your hearts. We are faithful to others when we embrace God's faithfulness to us. A person that tells the truth values that God is a truth-telling God. And so a person that is faithful to others is a person that grasps how faithful God has been to them and how meaningful that was. So church, let us be faithful to others because God is a faithful God and never leaves you. And as we sung, he has been faithful all of our days. And the last two things we see, grace and God. These are the blessings of the gospel. Grace is simply, you are given something free, unmerited. It's a gift. And that's what the gospel is. So friend, if you've been gathering with us for the past multiple months as we've been walking through, the invitation of grace is right here in this passage. You can receive God and salvation simply by trust. Trust that he lived in your place. He died in your place and he rose in your place. So you can have a place with him. Would you simply receive this need of grace, acknowledge you're a sinner and acknowledge that God has a great grace for sinners died in their place. Would you receive that today or online? If you have not yet received this grace, receive it. And then what's the best blessing of the gospel? The blessed blessing of the gospel is not heaven, guys. It's not eternal life. It's God. You get God himself is a greatest blessing of the gospel. And that's why this passage says that the peace and the love and the faith and grace, they all come from whom? God, the father, the source of all the blessings. So we don't want just the presence of God, the gifts. We want the presence of God, the person. All this comes from God, the father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the mediator of all the spiritual blessings that we have in him. So Koa, listen, may we be a church as we close this book, we've journeyed for a while through this. As we close, may we be a church with deep peace, that first characteristic, a peace with God that is deep and a far reaching peace with others in our church. Let us bring that peace to our friends and neighbors. Koa, maybe we be a church that we understand Christ's love so much that we extend a love that is not discriminatory. 
We don't love based on race or rank or age or sex. We love because God has loved us. Love necessitates that we speak truth. We stand on principles of the scripture, but we do it in such a way that's loving, gracious, and kind and truthful. Let us be that way. Church, may we be a church that's faithful to one another the way that Christ has been faithful with us. Doesn't abandon, doesn't neglect, doesn't harm. Let us be faithful like that with one another. May we breathe in the grace of God, that fourth word. May we breathe in the grace of God over our sins and failures and breathe out the grace of God who sinned against us. And then lastly, church, may we daily walk with God the Father through the Holy Spirit because of Christ the Son and all the spiritual blessings we have. So church, it's been a great joy to walk through this book with you. Uh, We're gonna start a three-week series uh, next week Uh, called Road to Redemption to get our hearts ready for the sacrifice of Christ and his resurrection. On the back end of that, I think we're going to spend a few weeks in Esther. Uh, And then right after that, we're going to spend our entire time through the book of James. As we aim towards the fall, we're going to spend a ton of time in the book of Genesis. We're actually going to walk through 50 chapters of Genesis a little bit quicker than we did with Ephesians in terms of the amount of text, but that's where we're going. Why do we study the scriptures? because it's God speaking to us about who he is. And I want you to know him further. So let us end this way, the way we began. Ephesians chapter one, starting in verse three through 14. Blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. And in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will and to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In Christ, you and I have redemption through his blood. We have the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us with all wisdom and insight. He's made known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, one that we'll see one day, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works out all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, Koa, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed in it, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance and all the spiritual blessings that we have read until we acquire the possession of it, when our faith becomes sight to the praise of his glory. This is the book of Ephesians. Let's pray. Let's pray.